0: All right, well, we are continuing our series in Colossians, and this morning we're talking about community life. Community life. And so we're going to look at three specific aspects of community life. We're going to talk about our church community, and I don't just mean the people in this room, I don't just mean Grace Chapel, Knoxville, I mean the greater body of Christ and our interaction with other believers in Jesus. Then we're going to talk about our work life, the jobs that we have, and as employees as bosses what the scripture calls us how the scripture calls us to interact with one another and then finally we'll talk about our life with neighbors and so they those may be people living right next door to you Um, they may be folks that you randomly run into at a grocery store and actually according to scripture they might even be enemies that you have are your neighbors and so those are the three things we're talking about this morning church life Work life and our neighbors, our life with our neighbors, and so that's where we're heading. So it got me thinking this week um, about my own kind of childhood and my first interaction with community, and one of the earliest memories that I have of a neighbor is this kid that I don't even know his name. We we lived in this little rental house for about a year when my parents first moved to Houston. Um, I was born in Toledo, Ohio, but before I was a year old, my dad got a job in the southwest side of Houston. And so we moved there, had this little rental house, and I was probably two and a half or three, and I can remember this little neighborhood kid coming to the door in the middle of hot, humid, like it's been pretty hot and humid this summer, has it not? Okay, that's got nothing on Houston. It's awful. In the middle of hot, humid summertime in Houston, this little kid would come to the door And he stands out in my mind because it didn't matter what the weather was or what he was wearing, he had his cowboy boots on. And I'm not talking like little short cowboy boots. I mean, these things were probably three or four sizes too big for him, and they're like up over his knees. And usually he was wearing shorts when he wore his cowboy boots. And so I just have this image of this kid like knocking on the front door and asking if he could come play, and there he is in his big cowboy boots. And I just have that that mental image. Um, And then about a year later, we moved into the house that I really grew up in. I lived in the same street for uh, about 15 or 16 years all through school and had several friends there. And, you know, I I feel like um, when I watched the movie The Sandlot, is anybody familiar with the movie The Sandlot? In many ways, uh, my childhood looked a little bit like that. There was this kid down at the very end of our street named Carlos and he was like our our Benny I mean he just was like the athlete he was a little bit older than the rest of us we all kind of looked up to him and I just remember remember my buddy Carlos and then two brothers AJ and little Brian Benavitas, they were down at the end of the street and we hung out all the time and AJ's brother little Brian wasn't just little Brian because he was little it's because there was another kid on the street named Brian and we were super creative, and so we decided he's bigger, so he's Big Brian, and little Brian is younger, so he's little Brian. We were just really creative like that. And so, I man, just had these neighborhood friends and these memories of like fighting at times and loving each other at times and silly adventures that we would go on. And this is kind of like the imagery that I just have when I think of neighbors, were these kids that I grew up around. And As we kind of step into this this morning, you know, there's things that I can see that I didn't even realize the Lord was teaching me about how to interact with other people. And at the simplest level, if if there's nothing else that you can get out of this this morning, the thing the neighborhood taught me is that those were my friends because they were the ones that were there. They were there. They were the people that happened to live near us. And I was stuck with them, and I'm sure they felt like they were stuck with me. Um, but because we were together, we had to learn through the ups and downs of life, through the fun and through the challenges, how to work it out and I think one of the the dangers in our current society we live a lifestyle where people move way more often than I feel like we did even a generation ago and I think that that mentality of moving and changing jobs and going to new cities and going to new states we've accepted being uh, a people that are in transit a lot and one of the things that happens very often is we experience that in our church families too and so we can bounce around every year or two into a different body of, of believers and listen i think god calls us sometimes to jump into a new season in a new place with new folks If I didn't believe that, it wouldn't make a lot of sense for us to be planting a church here because nobody would come. Um, So I realize things change and there's not necessarily anything wrong with that. But there is something that happens when we put roots down in a community of people and just say, these are the people I'm stuck with. And so what is God going to do in my life and in their life? Because we are walking through life together. And a lot of the things that Paul's gonna talk about as we begin to walk through this this morning, some of them are gonna sound great and some of them are gonna sound really challenging, but they're the kinds of things that the Lord will do in our lives and in our relationships if we just have that mindset of we're in this together. And so let's jump into this this morning. We're gonna start in Colossians chapter three. Um, If you wanna turn there and follow along, you can. We'll put the scriptures up on the screen. We're going to cover a lot of scripture this morning. And so some I will mention in passing, highlight a specific point. Others will camp out a little bit. But we're actually going to go back to some stuff we covered a couple of weeks ago because I want to look at it specifically through the lens of practical daily life. And so the first thing we're going to focus on this morning is church life, our church family. So Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 11. Paul writes and he says here... And by the way, he's talking about the church, the family, the people he's writing the letter to. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian and Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. And the beauty that I see there is this picture of the uniqueness of individuals and the variety and yet the sense that we're together. And there's people in your life, in the church life that you might go, that person's probably in the barbarian category for me. (laughs) And you might be surprised that people might place you in that category in their own life through their perspective. But Jesus comes and he takes us as unique people that are so different. We think different. We view things different. And in our own minds, it's like when I look at a situation, that's just common sense. But really, it's just Jake's version of common sense. And somebody else can be looking at the exact same circumstance and go, I can't believe he's handling it that way, viewing it that way. And so the beauty of being in life together is realizing that Jesus can bring all these unique individuals together, and in him, we're one. And understanding that. And so that's the first thing Paul kind of sets the tone with here. We're different, yet the same. Now he talks about what that's going to look like as it plays out in practical life. So verses 12 and 13. "...put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience." So he lists these attributes. And then in verse 13 he says, "...bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive." So he talks about bearing and forgiving. He, he doesn't even reference this like if you end up in a situation, maybe just by chance where you'll have to forgive somebody. He kind of states it like this is a fact of life. It is a fact of life that when we're walking through life together, there are going to be times and seasons and situations where we're just kind of like hanging in there with each other where we're we're just helping bear the load, or someone else's stuff is creating a load for us. And God calls us to bear with one another. And he says, listen, when you're in some of those seasons, your junk's going to get on each other. And you're going to have an opportunity to choose to ask for forgiveness and to extend forgiveness. And I think the reason that Paul starts in chapter 12 highlighting some of these attributes of compassionate hearts and kindness and humility is if we're gonna bear with one another and we're gonna forgive one another, I'm gonna need those attributes on display in my life. I'm gonna have a really difficult time hanging in there in difficult situations if Jesus isn't downloading into my heart compassion or patience or kindness. And so I just wanna encourage you guys when the rubber meets the road and it just gets real and practical with people and you hear things like the fruit of the Spirit or or a list of attributes like this, if they're just these kind of out there ideas that, well, wouldn't that be great if life was really like that? What if we turned those situations into a moment of prayer and said, God, in, in this situation, this is difficult with this person. And Lord, the first thing I need is not to figure out how to fix them. The first thing I need is to ask you to give me what I need to bear with them and to forgive. And so God, here's the list, I'm gonna pull it out. Lord, what, what is needed right now? God, would you give me a dose of kindness in my life towards this person? Lord, would you help me to have the ability to be humble? Maybe there's actually something I've done to contribute to this situation. And would you help me to have your eyes to see that and walk in humility? And so this can start to become real and alive in day-to-day situations in our lives. Paul continues on, and in verse 14, he says, And above all these, this whole list, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Now, when I hear the word love, I tend to think of warm feelings. I tend to think of the way it it feels in my own heart when I'm just around my people. Like you know those certain friends or family members and the minute that you know you're gonna get to see them, there's kind of like a smile on your face. Like whatever else you're going through, your day is about to get a lot better because you're gonna spend time with that person. And and I do think that's an outflow of love and healthy relationships. But the kind of love Paul's talking about here is a choice, a decision that gets made. He says, put it on. I feel like he's intentionally giving us the imagery of like putting on clothing. Guess what? I don't wear the same pair of clothes day after day after day. If I did, it'd be hard for my family to love on me because of the smell alone that they would be dealing with, right? Every day I make a conscious decision to wake up and say, what am I gonna wear today? What am I gonna put on today? Paul says, the decision we should be making is to wear love. I should make the choice to say, God, today in my relationships, I want to put on, I want to consciously choose to love those that are around me and know that because I'm wearing love, these other things that you've been talking about, about forgiving and bearing with one another and being able to walk with compassion in my heart towards people, that's possible because I've put on the love of God. See, Jesus doesn't call us to love separately from him. The first thing I get to do is put on his love towards me. I get to wake up every day and bask in the fact that like God loves me, me. All these things that Paul's talking about, God's already done those for me. He bears with me. He forgives me. He has shown graciousness in my life. Man, he has definitely been patient with me. And so when I recognize all of the love that God is extending towards me, I can receive his love in my heart and then say, okay, God, I think it's possible for me to put on some love towards others in my life. And so will your love be so poured out into me that I can pass that along towards others? It's an active choice to choose to love others. And then I believe what Paul talks about in these next two verses actually help us in a very practical way to love one another. And so check this out, verses 15 and 16. This is like a how-to to to love one another. Verse 15, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. See, right there, if I'm recognizing that the people that I'm going to be around, that they're me and I'm them, that when I'm loving them, I'm loving me, they're a part of me, I'm united, that makes a huge difference. And then he goes on and he says, be thankful. Then he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts towards God. See, what he's giving here is a picture of what it it means to gather corporately. He actually gives us a sense of what should happen when we gather as church family. We should do things like soak in the word of God. We should soak it in. We should take it in. We should let it sink deep. That may be through a setting like this where someone's teaching. It could be a Bible study setting where you're going beyond just teaching and you're thinking about how does, how does Jesus make this come alive in my life? And so I'm wrestling that through with my friends. What does it look like to soak in God's word? Sharing wisdom. I absolutely believe that God speaks to individuals. I believe that God wants us to learn how to hear his voice more and more. But I know for a fact in my life, God speaks through my friends and fellow believers into my life to say things I need to hear. And that's what Paul's talking about. He says, teach and admonish. Those are two different things. There are times where I can learn things from my friends that I don't know yet things I don't know, that God wants to teach me through then. But also, often with my friends, there's things I know good and well and I'm kind of not paying attention to or I've forgotten them or they don't really apply to this moment. And my friends can be there to admonish me and remind me of truth I already know and how it speaks into this current situation that I'm in. And so we soak in the Word of God. We listen to the wisdom that we share one with another. And then, listen, at the simplest level, when he's talking about singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, he's saying, listen, sing about Jesus together. Sing about Jesus. And there's a variety of ways to do that. You know, when I think of like psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, like there's maybe different definitions you would give to each of them. There's, there's some hymns that are just like almost word for word quotes from Scripture, where it's like I'm just washing in the Scripture. There's other times where we're singing songs that the lyrics are fairly simple, And what I'm really resting in is not necessarily repeated scripture, but just in the presence of God. Like the Holy Spirit is here and he's present and just slowing down and and kind of reminding each other through song that he's with us. That does something powerful. I can tell you, church, if, if these things become a regular part of our lives, you know, the last thing that kind of runs really through all of this is the word thankful comes up over and over and over again. It gets mentioned right in the middle of verse 15. It gets mentioned again in verse 16. We're about to look at verse 17. It's there again. Three different times Paul emphasizes the attitude of thankfulness. Something powerful happens when we're thankful. Let's read verse 17 right now. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. In all of our interactions with one another, in our corporate gatherings, if we bring thankfulness into the middle of that, something changes. Now, when something is repeated in Scripture, it's no different than the reason why we repeat things when we're communicating with people. Why would you repeat something over and over and over again if you're talking to someone else? Why would you do that? Important. It's important. Why else would we do it? To get a point across. To get a point across? Those are both great. What else? So they'll remember, make sure they hear it, right? Those are all reasons why you repeat yourself. Paul is saying, hey, I need to make a point here. In case you missed it, be thankful, be thankful, be thankful. You know why? Because our minds drift to the negative. My mind assumes the worst. Not just when there is communication, when there's no communication. When there's a lack of communication, I wonder, what's wrong? I don't think my friend's busy and we will talk in a couple weeks. I think, why isn't my friend calling me? What's going on? Our minds get filled immediately with the negative. Negative things people must be thinking about me. Or my own frustrations with other people and negative thoughts I entertain about them. See, that's where our mind goes without even trying. And so Paul says we can combat that by instead regularly verbalizing our thankfulness for the people God has placed in our lives and for the work of Jesus in our lives. And so if I am filling not just my thoughts, but actually verbalizing it is powerful. Verbalizing is powerful because I can hear myself saying it. It's also powerful because my friends need to hear it. I don't think you could ever get tired of hearing somebody tell you that they love you and they're thankful for you in their lives. We need to hear that. We need that affirmation and that encouragement. And so we need to choose to walk in thankfulness. What happens when we verbalize our thankfulness for one another is it reinforces the truth of how we feel about one another and it reinforces love. And so thankful hearts are necessary. If we, if we were to see these things become a regular part of our life, I think it would move from being hard to love one another to actually being difficult not to. If I'm soaking in God's word and I'm listening to wisdom and encouragement from my friends and we're singing about Jesus together and we're regularly communicating how thankful we are for one another, you can't help it. Your heart is just going to decide, I love these people and I love them not because they're perfect. I love them because they're my people. We're just, we're together. We've got one another. A few of us were at a wedding yesterday and at one point the father of the bride is talking and the bro was just stoked that his friends were there with him. And he's even joking about how silly they are and messy life can be, but it's like, but hey, these are my friends. And I just, I loved that heart. I loved, he was expressing gratitude and thankfulness and he was accepting people as they were because they were his people his friends, his family. And I just thought, God, that's the attitude you want us to have towards each other. We belong together. We belong to the family of God. And so let's let's express gratitude and thanksgiving for one another. All right. That's some stuff on church life. Now we're going to move into work life. And so if you skip down a little bit to verse 22, I'm skipping the passages that we talked about last week related to family. We talked about marriage, and parenting. And so now we're down um, talking about bond servants and masters. And for our own kind of language of our day, when we read bond servant, just think employee. When you read master, think employer. That'll, that'll help you get there. All right, so here we go. Some of you are like, I feel like a bond servant with my current employer. Um, all right, Colossians 3, verse 22. Bondservants. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done and there is no partiality. And then chapter four, verse one, masters, treat your bond servants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. All right, so let's unpack this. Employees, there's three specific things that Paul writes and says here. Number one, he says, obey, obey. When your boss asks you to do something, do it. That might seem pretty practical, and it is. It might even seem like just a good way to keep your job, right? Like there's some self-preservation going on here. If I'm the kind of employee that follows what my boss asks me to do, chances are I'm going to be able to hold on to that job for a while. So it's very practical. And I think we shouldn't miss how practical the Word of God is sometimes. But Paul goes a step further. He doesn't just say obey, he says be sincere. See, it's possible to obey, and everything inside of you is going, Oh, this is the stupidest idea, the dumbest thing ever. I can't believe this is what this guy doesn't know what he's talking about, or bah, 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 and grumbling and moaning, and maybe even doing it halfway. Like, halfway obedience isn't obedience. Not giving it my best effort isn't obedience. And so, we're called to obey and be sincere in it. In fact, not only to be sincere, but to have even a sense of reverence. See he says ultimately you're working for the Lord. Ultimately what you set your hands to do, you're doing for God. And he says reverent or reverent be reverent or fear God. And so when my boss gives me a task to do, I'm actually doing something for Jesus. I'm glorifying him by being a faithful worker. I'm glorifying him by walking in obedience towards my employer, by being a sincere honest employee, I am doing something for Jesus. See, at the simplest level, what Paul's saying here is when you are working, you are serving Jesus, so act like it. I don't know how hard a boss might be in your life. Maybe you're self-employed and you're your own boss and you can be hard on yourself sometimes. I don't know what voice you hear, but Jesus is saying, Actually, imagine that that's me giving you that instruction. You're doing that for me. What would it look like if you did that? He says, listen, at the end of the day, you are personally responsible for your work. Whatever work you bring to the table, you're responsible for that. Therefore, there is no behavior of your boss or your company that is justification to be lazy, to be dishonest, or to not obey. There's no justification for it. There may be justification for finding another job if you're working for somebody that's unethical. But while you're there, that employer, that company deserves your respect and you're serving and honoring the Lord. And here's the reality. If we live like that, most of us don't have jobs that are 100% on our own all the time. Most, if not all of us, interact with people in some way. And if we are living our lives, if we are going about our workday as if we're doing it for the Lord, we are gonna impact the lives of people around us even just by being faithful employees. We might be surprised to find how much of an impact it has. And all you moms in the room, moms that are stay at home moms with kids, that's a bigger job than any of us have. Like at least at the end of my job, I can kind of pick a time of day and go, okay, I'm sort of clocking out here. Moms, I mean, I don't have to tell you this, you're never clocking out. (laughs) You don't even clock out when the kids are in bed, right? You get the late night cry in the middle of the night, what's going on? And let's just be honest, we know us dads, we're laying there going, I really hope she's getting it this time. Maybe if I just roll over, it'll look like I'm really asleep. I mean, I don't know, maybe it's just me. Moms, your jobs don't stop. But listen, that job that you're doing, like talk about a job that you're doing for the Lord. You really are doing that job for the Lord. He's entrusted you with the lives of these kids that you are shaping. You're shaping the next generation and how they're going to interact in the world. And if you're able to approach that job as if you're doing it unto the Lord, your kids are going to notice. And you're going to make a lifetime impact in this world that no boss or no employee can make in the brief interactions we have with the coworkers that we have. Embrace that job. It is a valuable job. It's a worthwhile job. And the reason you don't get paid for it is because there's not enough money in the world to say thank you for the job that you do. Your reward is in heaven. That's what Jesus is talking about. He says it right there. We read it just a moment ago. Verse 24, knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the inheritance as your reward. That's what you're working for. All right. Briefly with employers. You know, at first glance, I read this. I'm like, wow, the masters have it pretty good, right? They get one verse. The employees got all these verses about obedience and sincerity and respect. And the masters just get chapter four, verse one. It's not even in the same chapter. Whoever organized these just kind of stuck it into the next chapter. Like maybe they won't even notice. One little verse for masters. And it says, treat your bond servants justly and fairly. But then the second half of the verse gets you because it says, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So you know what this means, employers? everything on the list for employees you're on the hook for because you got a boss and that's Jesus Christ and then in addition to that in addition to walking in obedience and sincerity and honesty and hard work and doing your job as under the lord in addition to that your job in the workplace is to make sure that there is justice and fairness happening in your workplace it means you're fighting on behalf of your employees It's what Jesus taught, servant leadership, caring for those under you, supporting them, giving them what they need to do their jobs well and treating them with justice and fairness. You know, there's so many social issues in our country um, that are real issues that we face in this world that would be solved if employers were just walking with Jesus and they were providing justice and fairness so we didn't have to try to turn to politicians hoping they could fix something they'll never fix. Jesus has the answer. If we walk with him as godly employees and employers, we can have a work environment that is healthy, where justice and fairness are taking place, and people are working ethically and working hard and blessing the lives of the people that they serve through their job. That's what God calls us to. All right. Our third category this morning, neighborhood life our neighbors, those around us. We're continuing on in Colossians chapter four now, and we're going to read verses two through six. Continue steadfast in prayer, being watchful with it, in it with thanksgiving. There's that thanksgiving again. At the same time, pray also for us. So this is Paul writing. So he's saying, hey, pray for fellow believers. So pray in your own life for your walk and your ministry. Be thankful for what God's given you opportunities to do. And also pray for other believers that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Verse five, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So there's four specific things that Paul talks about here as it relates to our interactions with the outside world. And I want to encourage you, when he's talking about neighbors and outsiders here, he's, he's talking about people who don't know Jesus yet. These are people who maybe they've been exposed a little bit, maybe they've heard a little bit about Jesus, but these are folks who are not walking with the Lord. And he says, I want you to consider how you interact with the people in your life that don't know Jesus. And the first piece of advice he gives is Pray pray. Pray for yourself. Pray for other believers who are in the same situation. Pray. And then he says, attached with prayer, be watchful and be thankful. So in other words, I'm going to pray not if a situation arises that I can love someone, but when. I'm going to watch for it. I'm going to expect a situation in my life to show up where I can share the love of Jesus with somebody. And so I'm going to pray and have that attitude about it. And then as I'm praying, it's going to start leading to some action. And so the first action it leads to is the need for wisdom. The need for wisdom when you're talking with people. In other words, know who you're talking to. Be aware of it. Get to know the people that are around you that God may be calling you to influence. Who are they? How do I love them? How do I interact with them? I can tell you something far too often As Christians, the way way we represent Jesus to the world is we talk a lot of law before we talk a lot of love. Now, they're both important. The law highlights things that are broken and that are wrong and that Jesus needs to forgive and heal and change. I don't know anybody that's won over by the law. I don't hear laws and go, yes, I was looking for a few more rules in my life. Awesome. Awesome. I don't know, there might be some rule followers in the room that are like, actually, I do kind of like it when the rules are being followed. But what draws us? Love does. Love draws us. And then as we experience the love of God and I begin to realize some of the instruction he brings into my life is out of his great love for me. And it's to heal me. It's to touch my other relationships. It's to protect me. It's for my good. Then I began to go, okay, that makes sense. God, I'll, I'll receive your instruction in that area. I'll, I'll, I want to recognize change in my life in that area. But it's the love of God that draws. In fact, the scripture says that he draws us with cords of loving kindness. God is loving and he's kind when he communicates with a broken world. And we've got that backwards far too often. Now, I'm not talking about watering down or sugarcoating the truth. You guys have been coming for a while. No, like we're taking a stand for truth, but we need to see those two things come together and live in such a way that I have enough wisdom to recognize who I'm talking to and figure out how do I share the love of God with this person? And when they begin to see the love of Jesus flowing out of my life and towards them and they experience God's love in their life, they'll be drawn to him. And they'll be hungry to see the things change in their life that need to be changed. See, here's the truth. We all kind of know what's broken. I'm, I'm pretty aware of it. I don't need a lot of people telling me how messed up I am. In fact, when I hear that too much, it doesn't draw me in. It pushes me away. But God says, I see you where you are and I love you. And I'm drawing you to me. And the things that are broken and the things that need to be changed, I can change them. I can give you the courage to repent. I can give you the strength to walk in newness of life. I can heal broken places in you. That's the love of God. And so we need to walk in wisdom with who we're interacting with. Not only walking in wisdom, but secondly, he talks about time and specifically says redeem the time. In other words, life's busy. We got a lot going on. And it would be very easy to feel like I don't have time for other people. And Paul says, just have awareness of the time you've already got and just put it to good use. In other words, invite people into the life that you're already living. Let them just come be around and be a part. Stop when you have an interaction with your neighbor and just spend some time with them. When you have a moment at the grocery store, not just thinking how quick can I get to the car? It might cost me two minutes of conversation with the the person checking me out at the line. Whatever the case may be, see the times and the situations that we get in and invite Jesus into those. God, I'm already doing this thing today. What would it look like for you to redeem that time? And then finally, he talks about our speech. I'm going to kind of wrap up with this. He says, be gracious in your speech. Let it be seasoned with salt. And then he goes on to say, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So basically saying, be personal, be personal. Be gracious, have your speech seasoned with salt, and be personal. Now, I actually have a really funny story. As I was thinking about, like, he's kind of giving us permission to be salty in our speech. And, like, usually that's kind of, like, a term that you would use to describe, like, salty language, right? Like, inappropriate language. And I was la- kind of laughing about that this week. And, and the Lord actually reminded me of a really funny story in my life. So I'm not going to say the word that I spoke, but I'll give you the rest of the context of the story. So for several years, everybody's getting really nervous. What is Jake talking about? All right, so for several years, I worked at a steel factory. Um, When I first got involved at Grace Chapel, I was volunteering and doing some part-time stuff in the youth ministry. And so Amy and I paid the bills because I worked at a steel plant. I did that for five or six years, um, kind of in my early to mid-20s. And there was this one particular friend of mine that I'd known for years, and we worked together at one steel plant for about four years together. And then he had gotten a job at a place that was like, 10 minutes from our house and he helped me get a job there. And so I I got to move a lot closer, working a lot closer to home. So I'm working with this friend of mine. He doesn't know the Lord. He knows exactly where I stand. We've been friends for a long time and we're supervisors at this steel plant. So one afternoon we're up in this office and we've got these huge overhead cranes that can lift like 50,000 pounds. And there's a guy out there and he's running one of these cranes and he's got this long sheet of metal on this crane that had these like grabbers on the side. And he's rolling it across and like, I don't know if he let his thumb off the button or what he did, but he reached a sudden stop and it made it swing. And so this thing swung and we're sitting up in the office and it swings up and the steel comes sliding out and we just hear the crash. And we can see it at our eye level because we're up in this elevated office. And we freak out and I don't even realize it, but apparently I let out a curse word. I'm thinking somebody's about to die like I'm like this is serious business and I let out a curse word. So we both jump up I'm thinking we're going to run to the door. He stops in his tracks and turns around and he looks at me with this stunned look and I'm like what? And he goes you just said whatever the word was (laughs) I'll leave the mystery there. He was more shocked that he'd heard me curse for the first time in our relationship than he was the fact somebody might be crushed outside the office. (laughs) Now, I'm not saying Jesus calls us to curse, but I thought it was funny that the Lord used a moment in my life where I used salty language and this guy noticed the fact that that had been absent. It had been absent. And he was like, he had been watching my life and he noticed something different about me. And so even in a moment of failure and something slipping out that I wish hadn't, even that was like a testimony. And this guy stops and is like, I can't believe I just heard you say that. I'm like, bro, we just need to get out there because somebody might be really hurt. The guy was fine, by the way. It just landed in the middle of the, the drive. But, and I know that's a silly story or whatever, but, but here's the reality. People are paying attention. And if you're willing to wear the name Jesus, and, and be loving towards people, you're not always going to get it right. You're going to blow it. You're an imperfect person. But if you are walking in genuineness, if you are personal with people, if you are gracious towards people, if you're looking, opportunity, looking for opportunities to show the love of Jesus to people's lives, God will use your speech. He'll even use some of your moments of failure because sometimes it's really refreshing for someone to see another person that is religious, even though we know that's not what the Lord's calling us to. But to see someone they would label as religious, that's just real. That's just a real person who knows God loves me. Jesus is in my life and he can be in your life too. And so be genuine, be real, and watch how the Lord will season your speech with graciousness and with salt and you can be personal. I want to wrap this up by reading something Jesus said, and then I'm going to pray for us. Jesus spoke this about us. This is in in kind of the the portion of Scripture known as the Beatitudes. It's in Matthew chapter 5. And uh, you can follow along on the screen, but really I just want you to take this in and hear Jesus speaking this over us this morning. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except for to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. But they put it on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Jesus is not talking about showing off. He's not talking about a look-at-me culture or some phony Christianity that's not real. He's saying just at, in your essence, there's something about you as a follower of Jesus that is salty. Salt adds flavor. It makes food more palatable. It, it, it adds joy to what you eat. And the right amount of salt on something is just it's perfect. Especially if you're getting the salt from the bacon, then it's really perfect, right? <laughs> like it's just so good. This this life is hard guys, anybody else know that? Life is hard, my life is hard. Other people's lives are hard. But as people who've been loved by Jesus and who are lovers of Jesus, we can be that little pinch of salt in people's lives by just being real, by being who God's called us to be. We can add flavor and life and hope to people and that's attractive and it will be a light on a hill. I don't need to make myself light on hell. I just need to invite people to be in my life. I just need to be real and let Jesus shine through and it will make a difference. Listen, the stuff that we've talked about this morning, this to walk in community life, it requires experiencing the love of Jesus and then intentionally getting our eyes off of ourselves and onto others so we can give that love away. The things we've talked about this morning, if we're thinking of, of this as something I've got to try to do better at, or I got to try to figure out how to fit it into my life, it's going to feel impossible. But if I realize that there is a life available to me in Jesus, and I just get to share that with the people around me that are believers, that are coworkers, and that are neighbors that may not even know the Lord at all, and I'm experiencing and receiving God's love in my life, it can permeate out of me towards other people. That's that's my prayer. That's what I want. And so let's pray together this morning. If that's what you want, just ask God to come and do that work in your life and through your life. Lord Jesus, we love you. God, we thank you for your incredible love towards us. We thank you that you walked this earth, that you are real, that you touched people's lives. And Jesus, even though we don't see you walking around every day, we thank you that you are still the God who is alive and that you love us. We thank you that you give us your Holy Spirit. And so God, you're with us today. And Lord, I pray that this stuff would just take root in our heart. Lord, if there's particular areas that have been challenging or convicting this morning, God, that we'd be willing to humble ourselves and and come to you and repent and receive forgiveness. But Lord, I pray we wouldn't just stop at repenting and forgiveness. God, that we would seek your life-changing power and presence in our lives so we could be different. Jesus, would you come and pour out your love in us? Holy Spirit, would you fill us fresh and new one more time? that we might be people who, who walk through this life loving one another well, that we'd put it on every day. And God, that our speech would be gracious and seasoned with salt. And God, that we'd just be real and personal with people in our lives. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray this morning. Amen.